Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out F1 uh, Vable podcast. Thank you to everybody that listened to our first ever episode, um, feels like ages ago now, uh, where we predicted um, how we thought this season was going to go. If you haven't listened to it, make sure you go and have a listen to it after this one. Um, I've got two um, of the team from that joining me. I've got Joshua Fletcher. Uh, and Callum uh, McAvoy with me. Uh, we're going to be looking back on the action that we saw in Bahrain. And then we're going to be, um, we've got a couple of talking points from that. We're going to talk a little bit about track limits and talk about some of the things Formula One are doing to try and maybe enhance um, our viewing uh, on the TV with some of their new graphics they're doing. And then we're going to have a look ahead to this weekend's action in Imola. Uh, first of all, Joshua, it's great to have Formula One back, isn't it? We know yeah. we had all this build up, we had drive to survive. Then we had the first race and then they just went, here's nothing for three weeks. It's great to be back, isn't it? Yeah, completely. I think, if, especially if this is a sport you follow most closely, three weeks is a abnormally long gap between races. I've sort of been all right with the football being on, but definitely missed, definitely missed the racing action. And Callum, how about you? Obviously, we're, we're all in the UK. Um, lockdown restrictions have started to ease. Have you, have you managed to, to fill your time without kind of any racing going on? Yeah, well, I got a fresh trim on Monday, uh, taking advantage of a lockdown ending here, which is great. Uh, yeah, no, it's been a weird three weeks. I think we were kind of spoiled last year, weren't we? That the, the season was so compacted into the last half of the year. We had a Grand Prix every week, nearly. So to have a three-week uh, gap, I really didn't know what to do with myself uh, for most of the time. Uh, but uh, no, glad F1's back this weekend, um, especially since my team isn't playing football. So I've got something to do uh, on Saturday and Sunday for a change. But uh, yeah, no, looking forward to it. And you mentioned the gap. I think the other thing is last year we were spoiled in terms of the fact that we had Formula 2 and Formula 3 and Formula 1, you know, at, at every track and pretty much every weekend. So you were just constantly watching racing this time we only had formula two uh, we had the new format as well in formula two which i thought kind of worked quite well um but formula one is what we're here to talk about um obviously last time out it was bahrain nearly three weeks ago now uh, where we saw um nikita mazepin crash out on the first lap we also saw alonso latifi and gasly um all retire which i'm sure that you know they'll all be very um disappointed with looking down the order um, Sebastian Vettel really let me down I predicted him to finish fifth in the standings uh, 15th place finish for him uh, George Russell 14th fairly standard uh, the Alfa Romeo is doing uh, not too bad just finishing just outside the points in 11th and 12th um, looking further up the grid we have Yuki Sonoda who finished 9th and, and pulled off some impressive overtakes um, on his first race uh, a disappointed Daniel Ricciardo in 7th for McLaren um, the two Ferraris finishing fairly well in 6th uh, and 8th um, and then at the front we had uh, Lando Norris just missing out on a podium um well not really just missing out in terms of uh where he finished on the track but in the standings it looked like he just missed out um with uh, our usual ham bot ver um top three but not in that order uh, it was ham ver bot uh, hamilton winning um against verstappen which was you know a fantastic battle and, and i'm sure we're going to get into that um and then valtteri bottas coming third um most of what happened was pretty much in line with our predictions, apart from the retirements and maybe one or two that were out of position. Um, Joshua, what was your main kind of talking point from Bahrain? What did you enjoy most about that race? That Hamilton Verstappen battle is, I think, what every racing fan has wanted for this season. And to kick it off in the way they did in race one was brilliant for a viewer. Not quite um, for Hamilton fans, I think. For me, I would have wanted him to win that race as he did. Um, dubious circumstances I think it's fair to say there was 
a lot of action, a lot of controversy. Uh, track limits, as you said, we'll get onto, but ner- nervy last couple of laps for Lewis B. He brought it home and deservedly so, I think, in the end. And Callum, how did you feel watching it? Were you on the particular side? Were you like, oh, I really want Verstappen to get past him? Or were you kind of like, nah, Lewis is going to is going to see this out. How, how did you kind of see it um, in terms of the build-up to when they actually kind of came together on the track? Uh, it was pure joy for uh, 90 minutes, really, because uh, you just knew it was going to boil down to those last couple of laps. So you, I, was, I was on the edge of my seat for most of it. I mean, I, I tried to stay relatively unbiased when it comes to supporting a particular driver, but I was secretly willing uh, Hamilton to hold on. And I think, as, as, um, as Josh said, you know, it was... Um, Rightfully so, he well not rightfully yeah rightfully so he held on to the lead. We'll get onto the whole track limits thing in a little bit, I think. But uh, yeah, I think he did a great job again, and that's why he's a seven-time world champion and possibly going to be an eight-time world champion by the end of the season. And Joshua, I'm sure you were absolutely delighted to uh, to see Lewis hold on at the end there. How did you feel as a, as a Hamilton fan, kind of watching that? Me and Callum were neutrals. We just wanted to see some excitement, and, and we definitely got that. But how was it as a Hamilton fan? Were you kind of biting your nails, or were you kind of expecting Verstappen to just go off in the distance? As much as I wanted Lewis to do it, I don't think he shouldn't have won that race in terms of the tyres and the advantage that you sort of expected Verstappen to get. And... It was it was great to see. It was nervy. It was you looked at it, it was like you looked at it. When was he going to get him? And he got him, and then had to concede it. So, I mean, Hamilton drove well to defend it. Won it by what seven hundredths of a second. Um, so it was it was almost too close to comfort, but he got the twenty five points. So it's it's home and hose for that weekend. But if we keep seeing that battle every weekend, right through to the end of the championship. No one will complain about this season, I don't think. I have to say, I, w- I was a little bit surprised that the, the battle kind of happened on track. I was kind of expecting, yeah, we're going to see this. For Sappen's going to hunt him down, hunt him down, hunt him down. He'll get in the RS zone. He'll get him easily, um, or, or, you know, down the main straight. And then he'll just go off into the distance. And it, it's a credit to Lewis to, you know, how well he did um, to hold him off. Let's go to track limits then. Um Joshua, do you just want to talk us through kind of the rules that you're aware of and, and how it works in terms of the, di- the difference between track limits and qualifying and the difference between track limits in a race um, when you're in a battle and, and when you're not in a battle as well? Yeah, I think, like most people, I think it's fairly confusing because you sort of see different things happening in qualifying and different things happening in the race and where is a judge to have gained an advantage. And I think that's the really important thing. Um, you saw Hamilton went off track quite a few times, but did it where he was under no threat of overtaking or being overtaken. So he didn't bring any danger to the track or didn't get an advantage by going off himself. And then you saw Verstappen did it and he did it. He went off track a bit, fully off track, all four wheels and gained an advantage. I think took the place over Hamilton by going off track. It's my understanding of it that you can't gain an advantage and that's what Verstappen did and why he was told to concede or opted to concede depending on whether you listen to his team or the FIA, in a very basic overview of it. So, Callum, what, what's your take on it? Let, let's just get down to that first, um, because obviously we saw that Hamilton was out there, you know, quite a lot during the race when he wasn't in that battle with Verstappen. And, and people are saying that that gained in time during the lap, which 
surely is gaining an advantage as well because all that time um, that he gains going out there when he's on his own is surely going to accumulate into you know making him go faster around the track surely so what what are your what's your take on it Callum should it just be the same for every session you cannot cross that line end of story or do you think that these um, race rules and qualifying rules should be in or, or, or out uh, one rule for the whole weekend I, I don't understand why we have to complicate it you know I think that while the rules were correctly enforced during the race uh, and I've got no complaints about what Verstappen gave in the place back I thought it was odd that he gave it back straight away and didn't do the five second advantage uh, but again, I think this is the problem. The, the FIA have no consistency when it comes to what is a penalty and how do we enforce this penalty? You know, if this was last season, Verstappen would have been allowed to drive away and then he'd have to uh, get within or get... Um, so Hamilton would have to stay within five seconds or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know why they just keep changing the rules. Um, it just needs to be one for the whole weekend. You know, I... I I'm not a big fan of the Formula One video games, but at least they're consistent with how penalties are given out. If you, it actually gives you like warnings and black flags and whatnot if you go um, outside the lines too many times. So why can't we have a similar thing in in Formula One in real life? It's a very good point because you know, as much as it probably annoys you as well on the F1 game, yeah. you know, you just put a t- a, a, an inch, you know, a, a little bit of a tire over the line. It's like warning, 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 and, and you know, the iconic Jeff from Team Radio is straight onto you as well. You know, <laughs> um, let's uh, not get ourselves caught up too much in, in the kind of virtual world. Um, Joshua, the, the thing I wanted to ask you is, why do you think the FIA? make themselves seem a little bit weak because the thing I seem to gather from it is they set out a rule at the start of weekend that they send out these race directors notes and say here here's the line don't go over it or here's the curb don't go over it and then the drivers go out drive the cars in practice and you know what they're obviously pushing them to the limit and they're like oh but I can't keep it inside the line can we change the rules is, is kind of what I'm getting and the drivers kind of seem to all pull together and the FIA go oh okay right if you don't like it we'll change the rules to benefit you why do the FIA just not say no these are the rules you've got to ma- you know your part of your job is to get around the track as fast as possible you've got to do that within the limits do you think the FIA may be a little bit weak in terms of the drivers like I say just go in and say no we don't like these limits FIA go okay we'll change them the FIA seem to shoot themselves in the at every possible opportunity uh, and we've seen that historically it's been covered in Drive to Survive. You've sort of seen that they say there's rules and then they don't don't implement them properly and don't give out the fairest penalties. And there's no consistency with the penalties either. I understand the argument that the FIA aren't the drivers themselves. If it was made up of a board of past drivers or something, and then they could understand what it's like to drive the track. But a lot of them are just senior officials and they employed by the company and they don't necessarily understand. And that's why drivers appeal or do whatever their processes are. But I think, yeah, Callum's right. We need to have one set of rules for the whole weekend. You can't sort of change it for qualifying and have track limits deleted, uh, sort of race times deleted for that lap or whatever it is. One set of rules and there's clear consistency. And then the FIA don't come in for the slack they do because they're offering every driver the same chance and penalising the same opportunity. Yeah, I think we're, we're kind of all in agreement that one set of rules, that's it. And I think these kind of safety car graphics that they do as well, um, that they show where it kind of shows, right, the safety car goes way over the track limits just to exaggerate, you know, 
what's right and what's wrong. Um, and I think that's kind of show that to the drivers and say, stick to this. That's it for the weekend. And again, like you say, it prevents the FIA from shooting themselves in the foot by setting the rule, the drivers all complaining and then them going and changing it. Um, let's move on due to just a couple more talking points from Bahrain. Um, the first one I want to talk about is Yuki Tsunoda obviously had a fantastic debut, um, finishing the points, um, something that we you know don't see very often from a rookie. Um, Callum, he obviously made some moves on Fernando Alonso a couple of times. What did you make of um, Yuki Tsunoda's debut Grand Prix in Formula One? Yeah, highly impressive. You know, um, I don't know really what more there is to say. He's just an incredibly quick, uh, by the looks of it, very funny driver as well from what I see of him on social media. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing more of him this season. Uh, it's just a shame he's in an Alpha Tauri because I think eventually you know what's going to happen. He's going to get promoted to Red Bull and then it's going to be a, a Verstappen v. Sonodo fight and things are going to get ugly. I'd rather him be at another team personally. But um, no, for now, looking uh, looking forward to seeing more of him. That's a really interesting point, actually, because it, you know that that Red Bull seat we've seen has bro- broken more drivers than it's made, and it it could really make or break. And I, I've never thought of it like that. So, so it's a good point, and it was good to see him out there. And I think Joshua, the, the best thing about the weekend was um, him complaining about being sent out in traffic um, in in I think it was the first practice session. It, it was good to see him just getting in there, getting involved, and and you know taking the reins as, as he should do. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit, I wasn't too aware of who he was necessarily and how he'd compete um, against the rest of the F1 field this year. But I think he's proved that he deserves to be in the sport. Again, um, I was a bit shocked that he got the seat and he got the seat at a team like AlphaTauri. I know there's the Red Bull connections, but you look at maybe some of the drivers who didn't get a seat, who performed reasonably well last season... Hulkenberg, when he's come in, when needed. Um, I still think Albon was done a complete disservice by Christian Horner. Um, so, I mean, he's proved he's, he's proved his worth. I know Gasly had a technical fault, but he's outdriven his experienced teammate in the first race. And some of those moves he made and those um, overtakes for, for a rookie, for someone so young, was, I mean, quite impressive. And the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to kind of a couple more things that we're, that we're going to chat about and, and this weekend is Alpine. They seem to, you know, Fernando Alonso has come out this week in the press conferences and said, you know, we, we did a good job, although they're now eighth in the standings. Ocon finished 13th. Alonso had to retire. Um, are we going to expect more of this from Alpine, uh, Callum? Because I have to say all three of us predicted them to be maybe a little bit better than, than they did in the first race. I mean, I had Alonso, I think, fifth in my uh, driver's predictions, so I'm uh, rather hoping that they do improve. I think it's just one weekend, you know. Before Alonso's retirement, he was looking pretty quick, and I think all the commentary kept saying, oh, it's like Fernando Alonso's never been away. He's just as quick as he was before. So I think it's just one weekend, you know. Uh, If the reliability of the car does improve, which it should in theory, then uh, they should be okay, I think, for the rest of the season. Ocon, I'm not so sure about, but Alonso's definitely good. Okay, so like we say, Bahrain, fantastic first opening race, really kind of has set the bar high for the rest of this season. And we, we, like I said, a hundred times already, we are going to come on to this weekend. Um, 
I think we kind of, everybody was kind of where we expected them to be apart from Alpine. We obviously had Haas and Williams towards the back, Alfa Romeo um, just ahead of them, Aston Martin, Alfa Tauri, Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull, Mercedes, um, all kind of in, you know, the right sort of order in terms of where we predicted them. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is these new graphics, which Formula One seem to um, be implementing into the TV coverage that are supposed to make, make it so much better and so much easier to understand for not a neutral, but a, a newcomer that's never seen Formula One or somebody um, that, want, that wants to get into it and, and know a bit more about it. Um, just looking at the Autosport website at the minute, they've kind of detailed what these kind of graphics are. Um, the first one uh, we've got is this kind of bre these breaking points, showing where each driver is braking um, and then where they're starting to accelerate through corners. Um, and Joshua, the question I've got for you is, what does this add to, to, to our viewing? You know, what, why do we need to, who cares about when a driver is braking and accelerating through a corner? Why, why is that relevant? I think, first of all, I don't understand the point of implementing them at different races across the season and partly through a season. If you're planning on adding new graphics, tell us what they are at the start of the season, explain them, have them in from start to finish. And they're sort of doing it at different stages of the calendar. It's all a bit weird. The breaking points one's interesting. We sort of know how much Daniel Ricciardo's hyped up about King of the Late Breakers. It'll be interesting to see how that compares to other drivers who do better than him in the race. Does he gain so much of an advantage in his overtakes? But I think it's more for the experienced fan and those who know what it means. I think coming into that first, like your first race and sort of being told, oh, this is where XYZ driver's breaking, like, why do I care? What do I mean? So I, I get what you mean. It's it's a strange thing. It's it's probably just money and sponsorships with Amazon, to be honest, or AWS. And this, some of them I can understand, this kind of striking distance thing of, um, you know, because the commentators, Martin Brundle especially, seems to be very good at breaking down the rules for the beginner. You know, when Sergio Perez had that, um, when he pulled over on the formation lap, and Martin Brundle was making the rules very clear. You know, he's got to go into the pit lane. He's got to start from there. And I think Brundle is is very good at, at doing that and with the safety cars, all that sort of stuff. Um, the striking distance thing, I can kind of make sense of, you know, if, he, if he's, you know, it, it, both drivers are on different states of tyres and, and, and that sort of stuff. Um, I can kind of see where that comes from. But things like tyre performance, when Lewis Hamilton has got a 70% next to his, you know, both of his front wheels, um, Callum, why is that there? You know, why should we know that? Why are we not just kind of told this sort of stuff? Why do we need a graphic to show us it? Uh, why indeed do we need a graphic? Um, right. Especially when the graphics, for the most part, don't really work. Uh, I I remember last year, I think, at the Japanese Grand Prix, it, was a, it had like the tyre degradation stat. And it had something like, oh, Lewis Hamilton's tyres are at 20%. The very next uh, lap, he set the fastest lap of the whole race. So it was like, oh, that can't be true. So, <laughs> I mean, first off, if you're going to have these graphics, make them accurate, please, um, AWS. But look, I'm not a massive fan of them. I think a couple of them work, but there's they're trying to implement too many now. But I think if you're going to have, if you are going to have these stats, have them in the practice sessions, maybe, because that's, you know, that's when they're most relevant, I think. So you can, there are fans out there who will want to properly analyze the whole weekend and how each car and each driver are performing. So have them in the practice sessions, but in the race, let's, let's just enjoy 
the spectacle rather than you know look at some graphics all the time I think I agree and I think you make a good point with the practice sessions there because I remember Sky F1 last year I think there was two race weekends where they had Nico Rosberg working for them um, and Nico Rosberg let's be fair is the only person that has driven a Formula One car in the Sky F1 team in this kind of era that we're in this hybrid era um, and he's the only one that kind of knows how to drive these cars okay Kavun Shandok's gone and done gone and done like features and Martin Brundle and all the other pundits but Rosberg knows what it's like to be in these cars and, and you know if, if the graphics then pop up and Rosberg's giving us that insight which I think he's very good at and, and he's much better at than the likes of Paul De Resta, um and, and kind of some of the other more recent ones I think maybe it could, you're right, it could definitely work then. Let's just have a look at these graphics that, that are being expected to be rolled out. The first one is car exploitation. From the Canadian Grand Prix, the graphic will show when drivers are pushing their cars to the performance limits of grip, braking, acceleration, and cornering during a race. Josh, why should we know when a car is on the limit? Surely we should be able to see that from maybe, you know, a bit of a wobble out of a corner or a snap of understeer or oversteer. Why do we need to be told this you know, through a graphic. I, I don't get it. I think, first of all, that's something that we can see as fans through the, I mean, we see it on Sky, the Sky angles show it, the commentators make a note of that. They let the audience know that, oh, someone's gone wide at turn three. He's gone off the track. It looks like the tyre, you can see the tyres going. Sort of, yeah. Uh, Silverstone last year, you saw Hamilton going, you saw Perez going and then degrading. Um, I don't think we need the graphic to show us every sort of, part of the car that's performing well or badly or how it's deteriorating it's that's the baffling one i cannot understand trying to fit everything into one tiny graphic for 20 drivers and and, and Callum's right they're delayed and they're not accurate when you make them that's mm. you sort of you never know what's gonna happen in that 10 seconds that it takes from making it to getting it up on screen someone can go crash out and then it's completely invalid it's a very strange one um, I'll just go through the other ones because I think there's probably only one here which I can see making a difference. Um, the next one is energy uses, usage. From the British Grand Prix, this will explore when the drivers are using their battery power and how much they have left in reserve. Well, again, surely we're showing this with the flashing red lights at the back when they're you know, charging up the battery. Why do we need a graphic to see that? The other one is start analysis uh, from the Italian Grand Prix. This will compare the getaways of each driver, both in terms of reaction and distance gained on grid rivals. Again, lights go out. We can see who gets away quickly. We can see who makes the overtakes. We can see who's at the first corner first. Why do we need a graphic to tell us? The only one that I can kind of make sense of, Caleb, is this um, pit lane performance one. Uh, from the Japanese Grand Prix, this will look at the time lost or gained in a pit stop outside at the moment when a car is stationary. Um, this one I can kind of make sense of, but surely, I know it says outside of when a car is stationary, surely we can see when time is being lost, when a car is blocked by another one coming out or, you know, somebody cuts something up. So what, what do you make of this pit lane performance graphic? Sounds like uh, a load of rubbish to me, to be honest, from the way you described it there. Um, <laughs> so, so hold on, this, wait, so this is measuring, aside from when the car is stationary, which is only a matter of seconds usually anyway, it's measuring how long it takes them to get into the pit lane and out again. Is that, is that correct? From the Japanese Grand Prix, this will look at the time lost or gained in the pit stop outside of the moments when the car is stationary, stationary which is surely when the pit but, stop is. Yeah, but... When you go into the pit lane, you have to press a button on your on the um, steering wheel that slows the car down to like I think it's like fifty or forty miles an hour. They can't exceed that. So this graphic is basically a bit pointless from from what I'm understanding. 
Like, I, what is the point of this? I'm, really, <laughs> I'm a bit lost for words here. Uh, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and the final one is, a, is, is an undercut threat uh, from the Australian Grand Prix, which, by the way, is right towards the end of the season. Um, this will analyse the potential benefits that a driver could have by making an early stop to undercut a rival ahead of him. But again, surely we can just see this in the lap time. Surely we can see this in, in when they stop and, and things like that. Are Formula One just completely wasting their money here, Joshua? Do you think that this is just a way to... Well, they're probably not wasting their money because they're probably being paid to, to use these graphics. Yeah, then I can only assume that there's a sponsorship thing with Formula One and AWS and all their sponsors that they want more information and they need to convey that to their audience. Maybe who want this? I know... We can't speak for everyone. Maybe there's loads of people that, that want to see every aspect of every driver's performance. It has to come down to the sponsorship thing for me, though. Um, I can't imagine Sky are batting out there for, for more graphics. It, it takes away from their coverage. Um, it's, it's a bit weird. And to spread them out, what's the point in having a graphic four races from the end of the season or whenever Australia comes across? And then what are you going to add more in at different stages next season? It's too much for me. Just let's enjoy the racing. And uh, obviously there's been a hero. Somebody's come out and said, yeah, this is the best thing ever. Uh, and that's the F1 uh, chief engineer, uh, Rob Smedley. I want to get your thoughts on what he said, Callum. Uh, he said, um, with this new set of racing statistics for 2021, we are going deeper than ever before. Uh, new insights like breaking performance and undercut threat peel back the additional layers of race strategies and performance uh, and use advanced visualizations to make the sport of racing even more understandable and exciting. Is that just a little waffle to make Formula One look good, Callum? Yes, uh, is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, these graphics, these stats will be someone out there will love them. Uh, and you know, if it does, if it does bring more fans in and make this sport more understandable, then all the power to it. I'll take back everything I've said, but. I don't see it working personally. I think the commentators do it do a good enough job. Like I said, especially Brundle. I mean, Crofty seems to be this stat king, giving us you know these really unnecessary stats. This is the first ever Grand Prix in Bahrain in February on a Sunday, you know, for twenty years or whatever, and we seem to get these kind of really weird stats from him. Um, but Brundle especially seems to be very good at kind of breaking things down for the viewer, um, telling them about strategy and stuff like that. And I don't think we kind of need these maybe, as Josh said, out of date graphics, um, you know, that, that could change at any moment. Um, let's move on then. We've obviously finally got some racing to look forward to uh, this weekend. The Formula One cars take to the iconic uh, legendary circuit, which is Imola. Um, Joshua, before we get into it, a fast flowing circuit, um, not much opportunity for overtaking. How important, especially considering it could be in the wet as well, um, is qualifying going to be on Saturday afternoon? Uh, vital. I think you sort of know drivers who perform well in the wet. You look at Lewis and if, if he gets a good position in qualifying, it's almost as if, it, almost like Monaco, that you need to get such a good pace because, like you said, not much opportunity for overtaking. The weather definitely comes and plays a part in it. The higher up you are, the better chance you have at winning, especially in the rain, especially with a circuit like Imola, qualifying is vital. I think maybe we could see some surprises. Maybe there'll be a couple of drivers up there who perform well in the wet, get a good chance, do well in qualifying, knowing that the wet weather might come and put them in good stead for a podium. And I don't know, maybe there'll be a shock to the 
shock to the normal order. Let's hope so. Well, I think the main thing we've got to hope is that nobody crashes under the safety car um, this time <laughs> out. Um, cough, cough, Mr. George Russell. Um, so, yeah, a wet weekend. We've kind of, it's going to be a lot colder. Um, Callum, how do you think that's going to impact the performance of these cars? Do you think we're going to see a fairly similar order to what we saw in, in Bahrain? Or do you think that maybe some of these cars may act differently to, to the con- conditions, which are obviously going to be a polar opposite to Bahrain, whether it's raining or not? Well, uh, to, to use a cliche, rain is the great leveller in motorsport, isn't it? You know, it, it doesn't matter how good a car you've got. If you can't drive in the rain, you're screwed. So I'm praying for rain because, as, as mentioned before, Imola is a bit like uh, Monaco in the sense that it's a historic track. All the drivers love driving around it. But as a spectacle, it's not particularly great. So, yeah, I, I think if... We, if we, even if we don't get rain, I think there'll be a couple of changes in the order because we're, we're going to see less overtaking. So it will be about those who qualify first. Uh, we'll, near the front of the grid, will obviously perform better. But uh, yeah, let's pray for rain and then we'll have a completely messed up order, hopefully. I think if it's raining, I'm going to regret missing Sunday's race. Um, and if it's not raining, I'm probably going to be like, yeah, I'm not really that bothered. You know, I, I'm out refereeing on Sunday afternoon. Um, all my games kick off conveniently on a Sunday afternoon at two o'clock. Um, <laughs> so I kind of have to have to stick to the highlights package that Sky Show in the evening. Um, so I think if it, if it if it's raining when I leave the house, um, I'm probably going to be like, mm, yeah, a bit annoyed that I'm missing this one. But if it's not raining, I'm probably going to be missing a procession. I think we, we could probably all agree on that. Um, let's talk about what we think is going to happen this weekend then in terms of our podiums we'll start off with. Um, before we get to that, Joshua, do you think we're going to see many shocks in qualifying? You know, we're we going to see like a, a Williams fairly, doing fairly well in Q2 or we're going to see maybe an Alpha Tauri up in Q3. Any kind of predictions for qualifying? I'll kind of throw you on the spot a bit for that one. I mean, I don't think it could get much worse for Aston Martin than it did uh, with the drivers that came out. I think Vettel came second last, was lapped. Um, they, they have to do better this weekend. Um, maybe there may be a Ferrari up there, sort of Italy. It's not necessarily home race, but Ferrari fans, um, Ferrari drivers will want to perform well this weekend. Maybe one of those two in the top three, but... Uh, Lewis and Max will should be one and two, um, provide uh, like unless a complete disaster for those two teams. And then Callum, any other kind of shocks that you're expecting to, to see in qualifying? Anybody that's going to, you know, get into a session they probably shouldn't be in, or even the other, other way around, maybe Sergio Perez could crash out and in, in Q one Q one and and not make it through and start in the bottom five. Anything kind of for qualifying that, that you're expecting to see? Ooh, um, I think he got out of Q1 last time, but I'll say George Russell will probably get out of Q1 again, which would, I don't know that's a, a big surprise anymore. I think he, he has improved a lot this year, but uh, yeah, I'll say he'll get into Q2 again. Why not? Cool. And then on to Sunday afternoon. Um, myself, I'm predicting a good afternoon for Red Bull. Um, I'm going with Sergio Perez to get his first podium uh, in a Red Bull. I'm also going for Lewis Hamilton in second. And I think we're going to see a Max Verstappen win um, on Sunday afternoon. Whether or not that's from pole or not, I'm not quite sure. I think 
Um, the order below that could be a little bit jumbled up. I think Valtteri Bottas may like could end up in ninth or something because he's at the wrong end of the circuit when it starts raining, maybe. Or, or you know, I'm kind of being optimistic a little bit here. But my podium, I've gone for Verstappen to win the race. Lewis Hamilton second, and I think Perez um, third. I think we're going to see an even stronger Red Bull than last time in terms of um, Perez' performance and Verstappen as well, who who will go one better than he did in Bahrain. Um, Callum, how do you see the top three finishing on Sunday afternoon? Uh, I've been boring with my top two. Uh, Lewis Hamilton to win, Max Verstappen to be second. Uh, Max might get pole, as you say, but uh, especially if there's rain, I think Hamilton is uh, the rain master of the current grid. So I think he'll take the victory in Imola. For third place, I'm going to be a bit wild and say Fernando Alonso will get a podium for Alpine. Um, I think Ricardo in the Renault last year got a podium at Imola, if memory serves. So I think obviously if the Alpine car is as strong as that Renault from last year, then yeah, I think they're in good stead. And then again, if it's if there's rain, who knows? Maybe Alonso uh, surges up the grid to third place. So it would certainly be a perfect story, wouldn't it, for Fernando Alonso to come back? Um, you know, an iconic circuit, a veteran, legendary driver in the sport. It'd be fantastic for him to come and get a red. Uh, a podium with Alpine in his only, only second race for him as well, considering he retired last time out. Joshua, are you the same? Have you got a pretty standard top two and, and gone for a wild third? Or have you just completely put, you know, have you, have you made my wish come true of putting Antonio Giovinazzi on the podium this weekend? And it's, it's so hard to do a blind reaction without knowing what everything looks like from Friday. Um, again, assuming it rains, Hamilton, Hamilton to win, but Again, not by much. It could be, be anything between him and Max. Um, I've put Charles Leclerc in third as a blind reaction just because I think it's really important for Ferrari to impress. I know it's not the greatest car they've had in recent years. Um, but again, it, it can't be worse than their performance last year and those Italian Grand Prix. And the Tifosi will be desperate for a positive result. And I think Charles might might bring some bring them some some happiness this season, whether this be uh, as good as or as bad as we've seen them last year. It it has to change at some point. Excellent. So we did some wild predictions for for throughout this for kind of the whole season. Um, we've got a couple that we're all going to give as well for um, Sunday afternoon. Um, I've gone for my mate Sebastian Vettel to get himself um, into the points, um, maybe kind of fourth, fifth, something like that. Um, and I've also got maybe Yuki Sonoda challenging for a podium. I don't think, as I said in in um, my podium prediction, I don't think he'll get on the podium. But I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, like you said, with the rain, the order shuffled up a little bit um, and maybe we see Yuki challenging for a podium. Callum, let's have some of your wild predictions. What could happen on Sunday afternoon that's kind of unlikely? Well, similar to you, Matt, I think uh, Aston Martin are due a good weekend here. So I have Lance Stroll to finish in the top five. Uh, I think we, I think he'll push for a podium. He was quite good in the rain last year, uh, especially at the Turkish Grand Prix. So uh, I think uh, he'll be in the top five. I've changed my second wild prediction just now. I'm going to say Nikita Mazepin will finish the race. Not score <laughs> points, I think he'll finish the race. <laughs> that's uh, that's fair enough. And I think you could say a little bit harsh, Crofty, you know, giving him that Nikita Mazepin name as, as that kind of went round trending on Twitter um, after the race, didn't it? Joshua, mm. 
anything else from you? What, what are you thinking for Sunday afternoon in terms of your wild predictions? Uh, again, this is this is more of a wishful thinking, perhaps, um, but it's wild as well. Uh, I think George will score a point. I think I, I, he might think he'll get top ten, hopefully. Um, and I think that Pierre Gazzi will disappoint. I'm not mm. saying he'll crash out. I'm not saying he'll, but I think he, he won't meet expectations. Fair enough. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much everything that we've got for you um, today. Some some interesting predictions in there. Mazepin spinning, finishing a race is definitely optimistic. Um, Mazepin being able to drive a car is just about being able to you know push the boat out a little bit. Um, so yeah, some really good stuff there. Um, some really good discussions. Um, we'll be back after. Um, after Imola, obviously, I don't know, I don't know why I paused there. Um, looking ahead to Portimao, which obviously gave us some entertainment um, last time we were there in 2020. So hopefully we get more entertainment uh, to look forward to there. So, yeah, join us next time. Um, thank you very much to everybody who has listened along. Um, if you've got any thoughts, any questions, you know, we want to interact with you guys, send them in and, and we'll get through them in the next episode. Um, make sure you're following us on Twitter as well. It's at F1 Babel. Um, Josh is going to tell me if that's wrong. I don't think it is. It's at F1 Babel, isn't it? I think you're right. Yeah, all the links will be in the description. Uh, yeah, it's at F1 Babel, but link will be everywhere you can find it. Wonderful. So, yeah, but make sure to, to give us a follow on there. Um, as well, we're obviously on Babel.com. Uh, we'll have the whole team doing kind of practice reports, race reports, quality reports, talking points. Everything um, around this weekend will be on Babel.com. Uh, uh, and if you scroll down to the motorsports section, that's where you will find all of our content. So like I said, thank you very much to uh, everybody for listening. Thank you, Joshua and Callum, for your time as well. Coming on this evening, we'll be back, like I said, um, before on the Friday before um, Portugal. So hopefully we get some decent racing uh, to talk about. And hopefully we don't get to talk about some terrible graphics, which just haven't worked. Um, and maybe even Antonio Giovinazzi podium. Who knows? <laughs> cool. So that's it. I'm going to stop uh, rambling on now. I'd like to get, like I said, thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you're on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit that notification bell, the like button, all that sort of good stuff that sets off the YouTube algorithm. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell your mate, tell them to tell a mate. Let's get as many people uh, joining us as possible. And, and if, you, if you're listening to us on a podcast platform, uh, leave us a five-star review, all that, all that good stuff and, and follow and subscribe to us on there. So yeah, that's it from us. Let's hope it's a good weekend of racing. Thank you very much to everybody for listening and we'll see you all after Italy. Bye-bye. See you later. Yeah.